Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. I'm Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and for this episode of our podcast, I'm joined by Yasmina Siadatan, who is Sales and Marketing Director at Dynamic Planner. Hi, Yasmina. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, hi, Lois. Thanks very much. Um, Really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Um, So maybe if you could start off by introducing yourself, um, telling our listeners a bit about how you got to where you are today, that'd be great. Um, yes, I'll keep it brief. Um, so, as you said, my name is Yasmin Sialiston, and I um, head up all of the kind of the customer-facing side of technology firm Dynamic Planner. Um, and um, we've been going for um, 20 years this year, and I've been with the business for nearly seven years, which is the longest job I've ever had. Um, and I really hope that I don't go somewhere else and stay there for this long. Um, but I've loved every minute of it. Um, and we've um, grown the business over the last seven years. Um, and we now have around 40% of financial planners um, and wealth managers in the UK um, as clients. So um, we have um, uh, a really exciting business that helps um, financial planning and wealth management firms essentially match people to suitable portfolios so um our business kind of crosses over between um investment services and distribution and vertical integration into kind of financial planning and um customer engagement and cash flow planning and risk and sustainability profiling so it's a really interesting place to be in the market and particularly post-covid as technology has become so ingrained in everybody's lives but prior to this um i um have spent my career working in all sorts of different industries. So um, I've been really fortuitous. And I think after this tenure, I'll probably go off and do something completely different again. Um, but I've, you know, I started off having um, restaurants. So I had my own restaurant when I was in my mid 20s. Um, and then I um, won The Apprentice um, and worked for Lord Sugar. So then I kind of I had this kind of big kind of media and PR career, if you like, out of nowhere, <laughs> um, which was fun. And then um, and then my actual job for Sugar, as well as all the kind of the crazy TV and PR stuff, was um, in advertising. And then um, and it was kind of digital advertising. So I was working with big ad agencies and selling into ad agencies, but we actually owned a network of digital um, advertising screens, which we also manufactured in China. And then after that, I worked for James Kahn of Dragon's Den fame in a private equity house. And I was the kind of head of ops in this private equity house. And then I ended up working for Startup Loans, which um, was a kind of number 10 funded um, bank, essentially, that we set up. So it was a, a startup bank. And we partnered with um, a community bank all over the UK to disseminate um hundreds of millions of pounds to entrepreneurs who wanted to start their own business. And my role was kind of creative director. So I was kind of doing marketing and, and PR. So I think my whole career really has centered around 
caring about the customer really and that's mm-hmm. what I'm obsessed with with restaurants and I've, I've kind of taken that all the way through my career so even though I've changed from industry to industry I think where I am today perfectly suits what I'm passionate about which is um caring deeply about sort of um helping people and helping businesses grow Great. That's really, yeah, very, very interesting career. Um, I've sort of jumped around a bit as well, all within journalism, but um, I wrote about the grocery sector, so not quite restaurants, but fairly close. Um, I wrote about utility companies, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Writing for the audience is kind of the thread through the whole thing. So um, yeah, it's really interesting. I won't dwell on it um, and I'm sure you get asked all the time, but what was it like working for Lord Sugar? Oh, it was amazing. Um, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And um, I think, yeah, so I was in my late 20s, early 30s. I'm now 41. So, you know, good good 10 years ago. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you couldn't imagine anything more fun, really, because I love business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was just completely exhilarating. And working for him was great because, as I said earlier, it was the kind of mix between having this kind of PR media responsibility um and but also having a, like a really cool job and famously being paid quite a lot of money mm-hmm. <laughs> in your early 30s out of nowhere because when I ran restaurants you know I was paying myself minimum wage because by the time you paid all your rent and you paid all your staff and you paid the tax man um and you paid all your suppliers you're not left with very much at the end of the month so I went from being like really skint to, um, to having quite a lot of money which was extremely exciting as you could imagine um, particularly for like my friends and my family and um so we just had we had a great time but the, the media thing was really interesting as well so you went from being you know a kind of a girl from Cavisham who had a restaurant to suddenly people wanting your opinion about stuff and we, we've spoken about this and it was just you sort of had this sort of sense of being a fraud really because your opinion was never really cared about other than your you know your immediate friends and family and that was a push to be honest <laughs> to suddenly you know you know journalists from you know mainstream national newspapers wanting your quote on some big story out of nowhere so you did feel like an absolute fraud and and I didn't go on it for the fame I went on it because um quite fancied the experience of going on a business show um so I didn't really, I didn't really like that side of it, which was part of the job, if you like, when you work for Sugar. But I absolutely loved the, the thrill and of the business side of it and learning. And I learned a great deal. It was the first time I had a sort of a proper job, if you like, even though it was absolutely not a proper job. Now, <laughs> the first time I worked for someone else, really. Yeah, no, it sounds really, really interesting. Um, so jumping forward then to your role in Dynamic Planner, um, I'm going to ask your opinion on what you see as some of the biggest challenges for financial advisors today. Well, where do we start? I mean, um, part of my role is to absolutely understand the answer to this question, right? So I head up a marketing team and what's marketing, right? It's about understanding your customer, um, understanding their challenges and understanding how you can help them. So um, we we run qualitative and quantitative surveys continuously to, to answer this question. And I think, you know, let's just take a step back. For me, my observation from coming into the industry from outside is that we've got a long way to go reputationally. And mm-hmm. I think trust is still the key challenge in our industry. And um, I think that actually the media have a, have a big part to play in it as well, because they kind of they fuel the, you know, this kind of perpetual um 
reputational problem that we have. You know, I read the Sunday Times. It's a habit of mine every Sunday. And I always flip the news, the, the, the money section, the business section. Anytime that you read anything about financial advisors, it's always something where somebody's being ripped off. And, and I know that, you know, we need to hear those stories, but there is never anything positive in the media or in the press, whereas, you know, it's become cool to be an entrepreneur and it's become very cool to be a lawyer and it's become really cool to be a doctor because they're sensationalized in the media. Whereas if you ever hear about a financial advisor on any kind of TV show or anything, they're the crook, they're the villain, they're the people that are ripping other people off. And so I just think young people don't aspire to, to want to become a financial advisor. And I think that's the problem. So the people don't trust the industry. People don't want to go into the industry. And there's a big problem with getting really good talent into the industry because the good talent just goes to other, other sectors, which is a real shame. And I think, um, I think the FCA has a responsibility to try and turn that around. And I think people like NextGen Palace and um, the CISI are doing a really good job. Um, and I think some of the big brands are actually doing a really good job if you look at the way that they try and bring talent into the industry. But there's just there's a lot more to be done. And if you can speak to some of your colleagues in the media industry, I'd be very grateful. We do write positive stories, of course. We at Money Marketing, if there are positive stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Money Marketing is an exception, of course. <laughs> Um, no, it's definitely true. And I think it's it's interesting um, what you were saying about lawyer it being really cool to be a lawyer. I think that might partly be because of um, all the law shows that are going on. And, and the lawyers are, are so cool in that. And so you want to be like, oh, I want to be like that. So we need something like that for financial advice. We need Netflix to make a series. I know we need like we need um, Love Island for financial planners or something like that. I think there was a financial planner on one of the series of Love Island. I believe. Oh, there you, go. I think, and you know what? I think I actually might have seen that. And it, it was the one that was, well, like the one that I saw, it was in Australia. And actually there were quite a few financial cameras, which was bizarre. So maybe it's, and they were like really, you know, ripped and like young and cool. And so I think, so I, I can actually remember watching it going, typical, you know, these these financial panels are cool, but they're not British. They're, it's over in Australia. So I think over there, they, they they obviously don't have the same reputational problem that we have. And young, cool people want to go and become a financial planner. So it, it can happen, right? Yeah, I think so. We're not saying that if you want to become a financial planner, you have to be ripped, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> Is that the um, but no, I think you're, yeah, you're definitely right. And um, I would also say... Um, Certainly when I was at school, it wasn't a career that was even spoken about. When it was um, like quite a lot of the, you know, graduate schemes and things were in accountancy um, for the big four or in law or in medicine. But there wasn't I didn't really get told about one in financial advice. I wouldn't have even considered financial advice as a career because I didn't know know it existed almost I mean obviously I knew it existed but you know what I mean it wasn't sort of flagged up as a thing no, to do which is a real shame because I think it, it genuinely I think it is a fantastic career I think there's loads of aspects to it that um, are very entrepreneurial and for people that like varied roles which a lot of people do like variety I think it, it encompasses so many different skill sets so I think like really smart all-rounders it's a really interesting career Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, just this is a bit of a jump, but I did want to talk about um, technology because obviously Dynamic Planner. So you know, you'll know a lot about technology, um, the evolution of technology. Do you think it's a help or a hindrance to advisors? Obviously, you're not going to say hindrance, but you know, how is it going to sort of develop? Well, it's, do you it's think bad technology? It can be a hindrance. Mm. 
True. Um, but if it's, if, I mean, you know, technology is now every every firm incorporates technology. You know, money marketing um, is no exception, right? So, um, I think technology it, it is it, it is business now that you can't separate them, right? And it has been that way for a long time, right? So they brought the fifth industrial revolution, don't they? So technology now is it is the economy. Um, if you look at the top ten um, biggest companies in the world, they're all technology companies, right? So it's been that way for a while. So technology and financial services is slow. It is slow to catch up. COVID has been um, really interesting. I think, you know, the, it, the innovation just hasn't happened in financial advice for lots of reasons, you know, not least the, what we've spoken about already, which is that, um, you know, there isn't, there isn't the best talent that flows into our sector. So that kind of, you know, the kind of the old street roundabout Silicon Valley tech startup scene is much more into banks and it's much more into lending and it's much more kind of mainstream financial services. Um, you get the odd one that spins out that tries to break into financial services into our sector, but it's just, it's quite a niche industry. And without the subject matter expertise, it's quite a hard product and industry to understand because of the complexity of the regulation and the history that we've had. And it's quite been quite a potted history. And all of that's really important to be able to develop good technology. And so I think there's lot, there's lots of reasons why it's it's not happened yet, but um that is all that is all changing, right? So you've got key players like Dynamic Panel, you've got key players like Inteleflow, you've got um some of the really good platforms that have all grasped this nettle. Um, and between us, you know, we will change the industry now, um, which is really exciting. And then I think the future really of technology is all around this kind of hybrid advice right so it's enabling so financial planning will always be and we can talk about ai but financial planning will always be um, a human to human interaction um and that will never change um but technology can of course be used to enhance that um and ultimately um you know the aim is for technology to be able to reduce the cost to serve because at the moment there are 10 million people can afford and they demand financial advice. Sorry, Yasmina, you just, when it made that noise, you just sort of cut out for a minute. Do you mind just starting that that sentence again? Yeah. Um, which bit from? Um, it was only like two seconds ago. So it was ah. like just the bit you just said just before I stopped you. Okay. I didn't quite hear. Yeah. So, um, so the FCA um, tell us there are 10 million consumers out there that can afford and want financial advice, but the supply just isn't there because the cost of serve is so high. Um, so if we can help reduce the cost to deliver financial planning via technology, then we're going to be able to um, let more people access um, you know, the services they need to be able to afford the things they want when they retire, which is really important. We've got auto-enrollment that's just kicking in. Um, hopefully, we can attract more talent into the industry. So all of these, all of these different factors will have an interplay, which will. It's only a, it's only heading in one direction. That direction is is to be able to service this demand for financial planning. And me personally, I mean, um, having worked with the planner now for seven years, it it's it's an absolute eye opener what what you can achieve if you can understand and navigate this world. And there's so much interesting stuff online. Um, but ultimately, there comes a point where you don't want to um, trust yourself with your money. And as you get older, you, you need a professional to do it. So 
financial planning will always be human to human, but technology is becoming increasingly important to be able to service the industry. Mm, yeah, definitely. You did say we can talk about AI. So what, what do you think about AI? Do you think it's going to massively impact financial advice? Obviously, as you say, there's always going to be a human to human element, but but do you think AI can sort of help? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I think um, in my mind, um, AI is going to um, be the next kind of, well, it already is, but a, a huge productivity driver um, in our industry. And like any kind of big structural changes in the way that we communicate, for example, when the internet first came around, you had instantaneous transfer of information at the touch of a button via a search tab. It came with it a load of problems as well, right? So we have now we've got you know the law is finally catching up we know we know the stories around you know trying to safeguard people online and all that good stuff and you know what's what's fake news what's real news and all of that and and all of that is catching up and it will be the same thing with ai so it will provide an enormous amount of productivity across the whole economy of which financial services is a really important part um and then there will be problems particularly in our industry because there's this money um, and so you'll get fraud um, and people will try and cheat the system. But ultimately, it will be um, a productivity driver, both for firms like Dynamic Planner internally from an operational perspective um, and also for financial planners from an operational perspective as well. So, yeah, it will become part of the technology's ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you said about um, the Internet there. I can't really imagine living without the Internet now. When my dad started as a journalist, he didn't have internet or they certainly didn't use it very widely and I just can't even imagine being able to do my job without it now I lost my phone recently well I left it in a taxi and I didn't have it for a day and it was really scary it was like it just goes to show how much I rely on technology now it's amazing and and you already rely on AI or you may not realize but you you know you when you log into Google it will serve you up the websites that it thinks are most relevant to you. You know, when you log in, I, I use Hotmail and I'm into my Hotmail, it sells up the adverts that are most relevant to me when I log into my Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, you know, I love Spotify, you know, and I used to be completely wedded to my CD rack. And, and now I just, I can't imagine life without Spotify. So I already rely on AI um, and that's only beca- going to become more prolific. I think what, what we need to make sure that we do is, like I said, we need to put all of the rules and all the regulations around it just to make it as safe as possible for people so they know what they're buying. But ultimately, if it can deliver um, a lower cost to serve and we're able to then give financial planning to more people, then it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, if because there's obviously people talk about the advice gap, the number of people not getting advice who might need it, not necessarily sort of the full fat advice, as, as people call it, but even any kind of advice. Um, and it was interesting, I was talking to someone the other day, um, we were talking about this advice gap thing. Um, and he said, there is a, probably a large portion of people who want financial advice, but can't access it for any reason, whether it's money or just sort of access to knowing where to go. But there's probably an even larger portion of people who don't even consider that they might need some sort of financial advice or guidance. And I was certainly in that camp before I joined Money Marketing. I didn't even consider that I might need some sort of financial maybe not full financial advice. I probably don't have enough money for that, but certainly some kind of financial guidance or education at least. So no, it's definitely a really interesting area. Yeah. And I think there's just a cultural 
shift that's needed. And I was I really I was really pleased when auto enrollment came in because when you change you have sweeping law changes like that, it can have well it does. Um, we can see from the tide of history, but it does have an impact on um, social norms um, and sort of, you know, making young people aware from their very first page. Of, I think it's from, is it 16 or so long? Or is it 18? Um, but, uh, you know, 5% or 10% of your, um, you know, your weekly earnings have to go into a little savings pot. I think that's really important. Um, and that it needs a cultural shift because, you know, I was definitely part of that generation where we were just totally forgotten. And I was like you, you know, I didn't even think about my future. I just thought, well, you know, other people managed to go to Weatherspoons when they retire. So I'll just be like them, I guess. I'll just pick that out when I get there. That was literally my financial plan. Um, and now I realize that, of course, you can have you, what you do when you're in your 30s and your 40s um, can have a really positive impact on whether, whether you can go to Weatherspoons every day when you retire or not. So. Um, more people deserve it and more people need it. And I think if we can have an impact on that culturally in the UK and use technology and use financial advice firms, but again, there's not, there's not going to be, it's not going to be just the financial advice industry that fixes the advice gap. The advice gap is much bigger than that. It's a cultural change that needs to happen. And so the government clearly trying to do that. And I think the media needs to be involved. So all the big institutions, whether it's government, whether it's business, whether it's, media you know all of all of them need to come together to make a difference yeah definitely and you only have to look at um what happened with the whole covid thing to realize that that can like a whole social shift can happen really quickly if people put their minds to it so yeah definitely um obviously we've got the consumer duty deadline coming up so i did just want to get your thoughts on whether you think or from your experience are advisors ready for that how are they responding um how do you think it's going to go yeah so we've we've um been checking in with our clients throughout the last couple of years and asking these kind of questions i think the majority of our clients are ready um and i think I think at last count, I think there were only kind of 15% of our survey that said that they hadn't really thought about it or consumer duty is not for me. You know, whereas that a couple of years ago, lots of advisors were saying, oh, I already do consumer duty. And actually, as the level of understanding has started to sink in and, you know, infiltrate, um, people have made changes. You know, they've got, they've changed um, the governance around the consumer duty. They've certainly looked um, at clients that were um, in legacy products and that were receiving the wrong types of services and all of that good work has been done. Um, and and a lot of our clients have put in processes in place where they can actually report on um, satisfaction, whether the customer understands, whether they, 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 they've checked the customer's objectives and all the good things we have to do for consumer duty. So um, I think maybe our cohort of clients may be more advanced than the average in the UK just because the dynamic planner is, is a consumer duty tool effectively because we are the contact to your customer so all of all of your interactions with your customer um, are recorded within dynamic planner you know you're setting up your target markets aligning that to your investment propositions aligning that to content aligning that to reports and all of the suitability and all of that mi being in one place so naturally dynamic planner customers i think um uh, can probably get to solving the consumer duty quandaries quicker than others but um, from our experience, pretty much everybody's ready. I mean, we're using the same thing. It's very varied. So I can obviously only report on surveys that I've covered from other people. But um, the advisors I speak to, most of them, yes, they say they are ready. 
um, from surveys, though, some of the surveys are saying like ridiculous amounts aren't ready, like 85% aren't ready for the consumer duty and stuff. So it's very difficult to know. I imagine it's different. Into, like obviously the larger ones are probably going to be more prepared because they can put more resource to it. Maybe some of the one man bands, um, like you say, consider that it's not really for them. One, one or two, maybe. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it looks like a very mixed bag. And from speaking to people, it sounds like it's sort of very dependent on size and just general, maybe age a bit. I don't know if that's ageist, <laughs> um, but sort of, you know, how long you've been a financial advisor, that sort of thing. Oh, I totally get that. Because you get the ones that have been around for, oh, they sort of know better than the regulator. Oh, they, you know, just doing this again. Whereas I think young the younger generation take it a bit more seriously. I think that's a fair comment. Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, important for advisors to realise that it, it's, it can be considered an opportunity more than just a sort of regulatory tick box exercise. So it can be like, <laughs> this is this is me just saying something that I've heard over and over again, rather than my actual opinion. Um, but definitely that it's an opportunity. So, you know, to get your house in order rather than just think, oh, there's more regulation coming in. We have to do more stuff. Yeah, I think this one is definitely this piece of regulation is being seen more in that way than any other piece of regulation I've seen come in, in over the last few years. Um, and I think, you know, as as just good business owners and good practitioners, understanding your customer and helping your customer understand your product and service is just common sense and it's good business, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and help. Um I'm interested to know what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the industry since you joined? We've probably already touched on a few of them, but any I, others? Um, for me, the biggie is uh, yeah, digital engagement with the end investor. So we've long been um, asking intermediaries, financial planners and wealth managers to Stop printing off a questionnaire and putting it into your briefcase and just sending a link to somebody's phone or iPad and then making use beautiful UX, sit at home, relaxed, see a questionnaire, which is actually statistically and scientifically better than doing it in front of another human, um, and then sending it back. And then there's no repeating. You know, we've been trying to extol the virtues of such a practice for many years. And then COVID, of course, just everyone was like, oh, where's the digital version? We're like, oh, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, my sort of 87-year-old client who, Yasmina, would never dream of filling out a questionnaire um, on, you know, a computer, um, all of a sudden um, she's, you know, FaceTiming her grandchildren in Australia quite happily from her phone. Um, so, yeah, that's been, it's been really, really interesting. So it's, it's been a massive positive impact in our industry um, from a cultural perspective. Because we often find that actually it's the kind of the advisor culture itself that can cause inertia in terms of um, adopting new processes. Um, and so that that was really great. It was really lovely to see. Um, and then I think consumer duty will just be absolutely enormous. Um, and I think um, finally kind of really moving away from this being a product sales led industry um, and finally into an industry where um, we start and end with the customer um, and just provide more and more transparency um, is only going to be a good thing. Um, and it will, it will ultimately, it will lead to better businesses and better practices. Um, and if we can change um, 
change the way that this industry once and for all is focused, so focus on the customer and not on the product, then that will have a really positive impact. And what we started at the beginning of the conversation, Larry's, which is you know the biggest problem that we've got is around trust. So it's all part of the same discussion. So I think the biggest change that we will see across the industry, and I'm really hoping that that will. I, I think the regulator has got it right, and I think that um, you know it will over the years. Let's fast forward another ten years. So it's been ten years since RDR now, so another ten years. It'll be ten years since consumer duty, and I I really hope that the mix of technology firms like us and the financial planning firms that are stepping up and stepping into the space um, will be able to kind of work together um, with platforms um, to really deliver the outcomes that customers need. Perfect. Came full circle very neatly. (laughs) Total pros, aren't we? (laughs) Um, I've just got one final question for you then. Um, What one piece of advice would you give to someone looking to start a career in either financial advice or financial services more generally? Um, I would say just do it, really. I would say just do it because there's... Yeah, like Nike, because there's so much opportunity. And I think, so I'm quite a sort of like spiritual, holistic person. Like I live in the country and, like you know, I want to make everybody's lives better. And um, inherently, I think financial services was never something that I thought that I'd actually be able to kind of work in and sleep at night. But there is so much opportunity to make financial services um, into an industry that um, everybody wants to aspire to make better because ultimately, you know, investing and saving is the engine room of the economy. You know, there's no two ways about it. Um, and because of that, unfortunately, um, there there is an awful lot of bad practice that comes with it as well because it attracts the type of personality that can be, um, you know, not that great. So there's, I would say that if you're going to come and join financial services, yeah, jump into it with um with both feet and um there's there's a lot of opportunity there's a lot of things that still need fixing so we need good people so come along perfect thank you very much it's been really nice to talk to you yasmina i've really enjoyed our conversation thanks for taking the time okay lovely thanks for having me um and uh, yeah have a lovely day Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.